Hi there, this is Kent Roundy at USH Med Student. I have three students with me today and we're going to talk about milieu therapy. Let's do some introductions first. Let's start with the two new students. You guys have been here a couple of days now. Jenny? Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm a third year medical student at Rocky Vista University. Good to have you here, Jenny. My name is Romina. I'm also a third year medical student at Rocky Vista University. Good to have you here, Romina. And Matt, you and I have known each other for a very long time now, uh, close to 20 years. That'd be about right. And uh, one of uh, my favorite nurses ever, now suddenly you're in a different role as a medical student. It's been a growing change and an exciting one that I'm glad I actually took the journey. I think at one point uh, between when we last worked together, you were um, working as a nurse practitioner essentially in a master's position to manage a psychiatric unit at uh, another hospital in the state of Utah. Yes, I was. Uh, I had gone on to uh, kind of trying to expand my scope of practice, my learning, and uh, about that time uh, they were starting to ask me if I'd become a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and I was like, three more years of school, medical school four years, I can become a psychiatrist, three, four... I'm going to take the four. My wife has reminded me that I did not count the extra prerequisite years, nor did I count residency afterwards. So my four, she says, is actually more like 10 or 12. Uh, it seems like it works out that way. <laughs> uh, so you and I had this very interesting conversation um, as we talked about how we developed a podcast, how you developed a podcast. Uh, do you want to tell people that might actually tune in and listen to this, uh, tell them how that evolved? Yes, uh, so one of the benefits we have in this rotation is, is actually developing a podcast and benefiting from the other medical students that have done podcasts. And so I was thinking back over my years of experience in, in the field uh, as being cross-trained in as a, from a CNA to a psych tech, then going up the nursing ladder <clears throat> and to being here today as a medical student at the Utah State Hospital. And one of the things that just was pointed out to me, you know, we talk a lot about the different therapies uh, that the uh, patients receive on the unit and the different disciplines that provide those therapies. And as a young person coming into the field, a lot was talked about therapeutic milieu, the milieu, the therapy, and the environment, uh, and how we can set that up to to make things safer, more successful. And one thing that I've noticed over time is my interactions in that milieu or the, the therapeutic environment have changed as my role has changed. And it's actually one of the things that I've enjoyed most about this rotation is I've been given an opportunity to participate in the different disciplines, how they interact in that milieu. You and I both commented, I think at the time, uh, something along the lines of, we've heard this for years, what is it? Definitely. And, and what's the evidence behind this? And we don't hear it as much now as we did 20 years ago. No, we don't hear it as much now, but it seems to be like one of those other things in healthcare where <clears throat> we don't talk about it a lot. It just kind of has become the, maybe I say quote unquote norm-ish of the field and so I don't think there's as much uh, focus on it as there is on the other therapies and as I've looked back at the literature it's 
it seems to have fizzled out in the literature except for in a few cases as well. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into the literature. Um, I was trying to figure out where we would start with this, and there's not a great starting point. Um, so I, th I think I want to start with an article by uh, a Dr. Pace who was on the anthropology service at the Veterans Administration Hospital. This was somewhere around 1960, I believe. There were a number of veterans who had returned from war, and I think the, the language that was used is something we wouldn't use today, right? I think language like schizophrenics as opposed yeah. to somebody that has schizophrenia. Um, and I think he talked about uh, these patients being broken, right? Uh, uh, the, the language was very disheartening. And the point was, we're going to try and figure out if the situation of the milieu, the environment that the patients are within, might make a difference. Tell me a little bit about uh, the situational study and how that might kind of lead us into milieu therapy. So <clears throat> they took a step back and kind of looked at what was happening on what they called the wards at that time um, and with the patients and and really was there something that they could do to alter that environment to see if there would be a change in the patient's behaviors um, whether it was through how they actually set up the environment how they had the patients around the around what we would call a unit now or the ward and and what what tasks or roles did we assign those patients and what tasks or roles did we take on as healthcare providers now also i, I think it it should be noted here also is that this is also kind of post transition time kind of where we're we're moving out of the more institutionalized asylum type cares and more into we've deinstitutionalized but we still have a lot at the time, we're focusing on the war veterans because of, of the things that they've, they've been experiencing post-war, still suffering from, you know, mental illness or uh, behavioral changes post-war and trying to deal with them. But at the same time, starting to question ourselves, if we're changing our practice, how should that look? What a, so I, I saw that very similarly, right? Uh, although I, would, I think this VA group would probably have been the equivalent of a state hospital population that was being cared for by the VA. And I assume that what happened was there were a number of young men who deployed uh, and in combat probably were having psychotic breaks and they ended up then being under the care of the VA. The VA care, takes care of a substantial number of young men uh, in a previous podcast we've talked about that age for first episode psychosis being about the time that somebody might join the the uh, armed forces uh, women seem to have that break a little bit later we deal, we still do see women in that but the last I was working in that VA population it was largely men at that point that's interesting you say that because uh, my last preceptor dr. Vasquez talked about his experience in his residencies and things where he had a VA type experience versus a traditional experience and how that experience actually matches more of the state hospital uh, longitudinally than it, than it does more the acute stay that yeah. I was exposed to as a young nurse. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. An interesting side note, the uh, Houston VA is the largest federal building. I think it's the second largest federal building in the United States and so when we were uh, working at the VA on our uh, rotations there, we would be running a great distance to get from one end of the building to another. It was something else. 
Uh, I want to jump forward to 1980. So one of the, the author of this article, uh, Milieu Therapy, this is sort of like, a, I wouldn't call it a meta-analysis, I would call it a review of the literature with an agenda, probably. Uh, Dr. Gunderson is, I think, fairly well known within uh, various circles as being an advocate for what might be referred to as psychodynamic psychotherapy. And uh, I think it's also fair to say that he is in part a conscience for psychiatry where he's trying to have us be better about the way we go about psychiatry. Uh, he wrote an article talking about milieu therapy and he made two very valid points. The first is, is it therapeutic? And second, if so, what are the components? And I'm going to come back to that components uh, comment probably quite a bit later near the end of the podcast. And he also said it seems like it's an ideology rather than a defined method of treatment. And I'm not sure he said that or if somebody else said that. I think he might have been quoting somebody in that. And he talked about a couple of different kinds of milieu therapy. One was this uh, NIMH-driven milieu therapy, which was described as having professional staff with individual and group therapy. And that's kind of what it was described as. But as I read through the article, Matt, I was left with the impression that that uh, Gunderson is really making the case that we might not need antipsychotic medications. It seems like early approaches for milieu therapy were less about how do we get a psychosocial rehab to somebody, a very complex psychosocial rehab to somebody, and more about trying to answer the question of, wait a minute, we're starting to empty out um, the state hospital institutions that have been filling up for years and years with people with very severe and persisting mental illness, but maybe instead of medications, we should be looking at psychotherapy or some sort of interaction that helps people get better and get well and overcome schizophrenia symptoms. And um, I, I think it was fairly clear that he had an agenda. He didn't refer to medications as medications. They were drugs. Um, when he talked about the uh, strengths of medications, it seemed like it was given short shrift. And if it, he were talking about the failings of medications, which there are plenty, right? Uh, those were extensive. And if he talked about the successes of psychotherapies or um, the milieu approaches, it was extensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was really no comment on hey, sometimes there are guys so violent that you kind of have to lock the doors, right? That's right. And so, so I, was, I was a little bit like, uh, thoughts. My thoughts is uh, I kind of included this in my search because I was looking kind of at longitudinally kind of what has happened over the years. And it seemed to be of the literature that I could find, something that kind of popped up. Well, okay, we had the VA in the 70s, let's see what's in the 80s, and definitely uh, there is an agenda in the article, and, 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 and trying to, in, I think I would probably interpret it as, he was trying to put the spin on, we can do this without medications, or definitely minimize the medications we use, but I didn't feel that what he provided me as, you know, a budding physician, Anything that I could say, you know, I could really put this into practice and, mm. and have some evidence to back it up. I felt like the conclusions he made didn't necessarily follow the literature he cited in the story he made before that, but I really liked the key aspects of a successful milieu, and I'm going to just kind of read through those. First was high staff to patient ratio. 
our experience here is that when we don't have enough staff to individually interact with the patients, it's a lot harder for them to get their needs met and to be well. I think there's a humane aspect of that that goes even beyond the treatment aspect of that. The second thing that I thought was very interesting was this, and I started thinking about it and wondered if there was some data out there that backed this up. He mentioned that having staff near the age of the patients might be meaningful. And I think this is probably based on not just the literature he read, um, but also probably conversations he had with other people. I suspect that he had uh, interpersonal communication with some of the people that had written these articles. Matt, you even made a comment before about some of the literature we read seemed more like reading a book or a novel than it did a, a, uh, a study, and I think that's probably true for some of the articles before the 1970s looked more like that. And in fact, if you listen to our podcast on lithium, I think we made the comment that one of the researchers in that uh, that we came across in that podcast said that some of the first randomized controlled trials were with lithium, so this was something that was emerging mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, during this time in psychiatry history. Um, third point that I took out of it was high involvement among all members of the community. In other words, if you can get all of the patients involved in some sort of activity and have a community sense, that might improve the outcomes of somebody. And we've seen that work that way quite a number of times. At times we see it work the opposite depending on the population type. Uh, in other words, if we have patients with borderline personality disorder in a hospital setting that group together, that hasn't gone as well for us. But our patients with schizophrenia who are working together collaborative in a, collaboratively in a community setting, that might be somewhat better. Again, data, I, I'm not sure that there's really great data in what I read. I was intrigued by his points because even though I didn't like the text of the article, these points kind of made a lot of sense. The next one was psychosis is viewed as a process to be lived through and understood as opposed to something that I did more when I first arrived here, we're gonna get rid of that psychosis. It's gonna be gone, right? Now it's more along the lines of, hey, yeah, everybody lives here with voices. How do you manage that? It's a very different approach. It is, it kind of reminds me of an article I read about the tidal wave theory where, you know, it's, it's their reality and you have to try and understand it from their reality, not, not from my reality. I mean, each of us do experience life differently even though we might have lived in the same city all of our lives. You know, our experience will be unique. And that unique experience still may give us uh, inaccurate approaches or unhelpful approaches to life that we can work on, right? And I think that's the idea yes. of schizophrenia. He mentioned missionary zeal being maybe why some of the studies, there, there was a lot of discrepancy between studies working, not working. He made the distinction that it might be something to do with treatment of schizophrenia that was chronic in nature versus acute uh, acute illness. And I think a lot of the studies that he looked at suffered from limitations in how you might best manage on a milieu level patients with chronic illness. Um, high interaction between patients and staff, I think this goes back to the previous point. Staff involvement and patient involvement in decision making and shared responsibilities. We see this under another kind of language now. It's taken out of the milieu, right, and it's become shared decision-making uh, among patients, right? You talk about uh, kind of uh, what we talked about maybe a few years ago was paternalistic medicine where we told patients what was best for them and then we expected them to do exactly that and now what we're talking about is some sort of collaborative care model, right, where we present information to patients and that seems to be a better model than I'll tell you what's right, you do it. I actually think that his point about the community involvement uh, brings me back to one of my early experiences that was just transitioning out as I was being trained in 
in, in, men, in the mental health arena it was that the uh, there was actually a community group decision make a community group in the morning of the patients it was facilitated by the staff member and they would bring up their concerns about what was going on but also this was also when the acute hospitalizations were longer than three to five days it, it has changed and I think there was uh, somebody who commented on that my goodness my phone never is this noisy and yet it is today and I apologize to everybody that just heard that. He also talked about some characteristics of a um, effective milieu. My phone is now silenced but you'll probably hear it vibrate now. Uh, characteristics of the milieu that are effective include autonomy. We'll see that come up later but we'll see it come up in in something a little bit different because milieu changes over time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, order and organization. I thought a lot about that. Our patients on our unit have uh, specific passes with cards that let them have different accesses to different places. Um, something about focus on personal problems, and I don't know exactly what that means, but I assume it means that individualized treatment. That's right? how I interpreted that. Which is kind of no longer a milieu therapy thing anymore. It's kind of a mainstream in its own right approach to treatment, right? Uh, open expression of angry feelings, uh, some sort of validation that your emotions matter and your behaviors matter and that they don't have to be one equals the other, right? And I think that's where that went. Yeah, I might call that uh, active or reflective listening now. Potentially so, yeah. Um, administrative support of middle staff. Now that was so fascinating to me. And again, that's probably been pulled out of milieu therapy. And if you go into the uh, uh, management, the MBA type literature on hospital administration, you'll find things along these lines of how you avoid burnout. And I think it also speaks on, on some level to burnout, which was a, another podcast we had recently. Uh, democratic decision-making, and I'm, I think that included both the team and the unit. Right? That, yes, that, I, he included both components of that. In other words, I think Gunderson is starting to talk about, uh, I think his point that what are the important aspects of what is called milieu therapy, which is sort of anything, mm -hmm. we need to start figuring out where it goes. And I think we s have seen some of those things that he talked about being tugged into their own domain rather than as a milieu therapy. Yes, but it seemed like a, a good place to start from where psychiatry and mental health practice was. Yeah, one of, one of the other articles that we talked about, and maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Gunderson, who talked about like this neglect of patients, right? And milieu therapy was basically anything other than you have a hundred patients on a psychiatric unit and you're ignoring them mm -hmm. and just hoping that they're safe enough and don't hit anybody, right? And, and milieu therapy was, let's talk to our patients and give them groups and figure out if we can interact in a way that's more meaningful. And so, so I think um, the context isn't as much how do we have a safe milieu now that we have groups and activities on the unit and people interacting and staff that are invested in the patient outcomes. That's normal now. It wasn't back then. But it wasn't back then. And then some aspects of, quote, milieu therapy have been pulled out based on what, how I read the Gunderson article. I would, I would uh, agree with that. Romina, you looked like you were gonna ask a question. You were wondering about time and whether that's your group mm -hmm. leaving? Well, if they are, they're about 20 minutes early and I can get you there too. Okay. So one of the things that's a really great experience here for the students is being able to go to uh, various groups and activities and uh, our recreational therapy activities, and we had a podcast on that. It was really wonderful. 
um, you were talking earlier about how um, in Mayo therapy they um, had like a community meeting and I think you guys do do that here. I was talking to um, Georgie yesterday and she said that every day at I think three or so. Every Tuesday. Oh yeah, okay, So it was Tuesday. yesterday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, they, the whole unit gets together and talks about community concerns. Do they, is that like a setting where they get to bring up concerns about mm -hmm. the unit and like where they live and mm -hmm. things like that? Worries about peers, we want the pool table fixed, the water is cold in the bathroom and room 2461 and uh, the idea is, I mean, based on mm -hmm. what we've read is patients should be involved in being able to make the situation better. In fact, a lot of the, the suggestions that the patients have made actually make the functioning of the unit better and uh, they also, you know, have the opportunity to call out on something that might not be going well. But I've also observed that they, they do call outs on what is working well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when I started in mental health, I was under the impression that patients didn't know what was good for them or not. And maybe the two of you showed up with that same kind of idea. Um, and as you've met the patients, you see that the illness affects parts of their life, but it doesn't make somebody incompletely incapacitated, right? Yeah, today we were playing cards with a few patients and it was just like a very different side of who the patients were and what they're capable of thinking through. Actually, I wasn't being on top of the game and like the patients were explaining like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And it was just like very interesting to see a whole different side of how they support each other and like um, the community in general. I know they select a patient of the week at those community meetings, so it seems like it's not just like complaining about what's wrong, but they also support each other and help um, everyone be comfortable. And I think that was maybe the heart of the idea of milieu therapy is to to get that supportive that support to the patient and for the patient. And that collaboration too, right? That work together. And that, that would be something that would work against the negative symptoms of schizophrenia, right? To help people be more involved. Uh, one of the things that dramatically changed the way I try and uh, treat schizophrenia was something that I heard at a, at a conference at the Beck Institute where I, I was always under the impression that negative symptoms were a core feature of schizophrenia because people really weren't interested in having relationships or reaching out. And it turns out that the vast majority of people with schizophrenia desperately want relationships, desperately want to be able to talk to somebody, and that it's either the voices or fear or fear of rejection or stigma or whatever million kinds of things can get in the way that, that make that difficult. And so as we have a milieu based around the idea that people want to overcome negative symptoms of schizophrenia, then I think we, we're a better, better unit. Um, Matt, we talked about how milieu therapy in the first article, I'm going to change gears a little bit, how milieu therapy, when we looked at the Gunderson article, really could have meant pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other challenges we had was the quality of the research is very limited. Yes. And I, um, not to pick on anybody, but the BOT article, BHAT, 2020, recently published in a journal in Spanish, and this is a group out of India, and it was a nursing journal. I don't think the quality of the article was very high. Let me tell you what the first sentence said about the article itself. This is a quasi-experimental, non-equivalent control group that is non-randomly assigned. Yep. 
they're observing something. <laughs> I think at the end of this, I was quite convinced that uh, that this was uh, like a post hoc analysis of some charts. I think this was a chart review, maybe, but. Uh, but they had an interesting question, and I think it's worth uh, commenting on. They talked about uh, treatment as usual versus a group that had milieu therapy. And the, the thing that I suppose is interesting is what it meant to have milieu therapy. So environmental modifications meant, any guesses? <laughs> no uh, ligatures? No sharp instruments? No sharp instruments. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I read on what you should know before you come, for example, keep your metal water bottles off the unit. There are so many things that could be considered a danger and you, you don't even know coming into these type of situations. And that's something I've had to learn over time. It's something I think is very benign. Someone that's responding to some type of internal stimuli or voices or something <clears throat> can create lots of different things out of something that you never Never would imagine. Yeah, we had somebody who managed to cut themselves with an apple stem in the past. It's very difficult to create a perfectly safe unit, but there are some obvious things. Uh, second intervention was structuring word activities, which meant displaying the rules and having a schedule posted, right, or having a, an accessible schedule. Which I was very impressed. When I walked on the unit, that was the first thing I saw was a calendar of the recreational therapy opportunities. And then... Uh, each unit does it a little different here at the hospital, but on one of the other units that uh, I rotated through, each each patient has their weekly schedule posted on their door. So it's approached differently, but the patients definitely do know and are aware of the schedule. Yeah, I like that a lot. And in fact, I, sometimes you learn how good a situation you're in by what you read later, not by how you helped create it. And that was one of the things that I think I learned reading this is, oh my goodness, we have this very well-organized unit. Whether the data supports it or not, a little harder to know in a quasi-experimental, non-equivalent control group of non-randomly assigned uh, subjects. I'm not being too sarcastic, am I? No. Okay. Good. Thank you, Romina. Mm -hmm. uh, third thing was teaching caregivers to address aggression. And this is basic listening skills. And there's also some stuff about encouraging patients to participate in activities. Th this is, interestingly enough, I think this is another component of what's called milieu therapy that you could completely take out of this picture and talk about as aggression reduction, which we also had a podcast on at one point. Yeah. I, in my past, they actually trained me uh, in crisis intervention and nonviolent crisis intervention, what it came down to is recognizing those cues and behaviors early and developing effective communication. Um, and what I, I've, anecdotally what I've seen is when you know that you have those skill sets, you can actually intervene early and help avoid some, not all behaviors that could be unsafe. We t totally agree. And, and if you look at the seclusion restraint podcast we did and the aggression podcast we did, I think we speak to some of the importance of how, um, how a focus on the way that people learn how to interact with other people can make a tremendous difference. We, we felt like the data was fairly strong for that. Um, we had an article by Cooper. I, I think we mentioned that with Gunderson, there's kind of the sense that uh, milieu therapy was originally designed to 
as a, an alternative to medications. The Cooper article continued that. I don't know that we need to tackle that. I'll just point out that the title was Interventions for Patients with Little or No Medications, and it did speak to some of the old milieu therapy ideas as their proof, I think, that, that this is a reasonable path to consider pursuing. I would just add that after they went through many thousand articles, they found 45 review articles on the topic, 49 non-empirical articles on the topic, and 27 articles that were actually based on 17 studies that they kept. And so they cut out thousands of articles. There's a lot more people that, there have been a lot more articles talking about this than there have been actually finding good data on it. And I think the articles that were uh, based on data, I would note that one of those was a randomized control trial with three people in the control arm. I'm sorry, in the active arm. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think the data for kind of this approach of, of of milieu therapy and no meds, even though it's still out there and there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out how do we maybe minimize medications or how do we maximize the psychosocial interactions, it seems like this pathway of trying to completely get rid of medications is a little bit problematic. Even one of the articles in this uh, review article which talked about uh, major role therapy, which is something else that I really like, it's occupational therapy, right? Um, they talked about uh, there was one person that was in major role therapy, in other words, occupational job, job therapy, right? Mm -hmm. um, who wasn't on medications, who had to stop his medications because they were interfering with his job. And I'm like, wait a minute. And that kept popping up in the articles. 30% of the people in some of the non-antipsychotic treatment arms had been taking antipsychotic treatments during the study. And so th the numbers on this, the way they kind of come up with the solutions, very problematic for me. And I suspect that's why we see a switch with the Soteria articles, which is kind of where I want to go to now. So tell me about, by the way, that article that did a review of the literature uh, that focused on 17 studies and 27 articles about those 17 studies eliminated Cyrillic uh, articles written in uh, non-Latin-based uh, script. So the Cyrillic languages, which is where the Soteria information seems to be coming from that was excluded. Yes. And the Soteria, it, it seems like it's very different than meds, no meds, even though there's an emphasis on less meds. But I want you to talk to me about Soteria, which I think has been around since the early 70s, maybe late 60s. Yes, it, uh, it was developed in California, actually, by a psychiatrist, though I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, basically kind of looking at establishing what I would call maybe now more like a group home setting for recovery, uh, where there was a major e emphasis on individuals suffering from schizophrenia, though at the time, you know, schizophrenic individuals. Um, uh, and kind of looking at if we set this new community up in a, such a way, will it reduce the amount of medications that these individuals are requiring to allow them to function. And that's kind of how I, I, I kind of the overview of the, how I understood it. And then as I did some more with the help of my peers here, some more research, we, you know, we were able to find some more information. And um, what we're seeing is, is, you know, even though it was originally established in California, interesting, almost all the articles 
are coming from across seas and like from Germany and Germany in particular. And, it seems and like Poland. Yeah. and and uh, you can actually uh, become certified as a Solteria house, or you know, and and there's ways to go about that, but it is you have to implement several things to qualify to get the recognition. It's a little bit like uh, let's see, what's the name of the. Uh the drop-in, not drop-in houses, but uh, for treatment, is clubhouse. The clubhouse Club houses, model. The clubhouse model, yeah. Is similar to that in a sense where there are sort of some rules. If you want to be called a clubhouse, you have to be accredited as a clubhouse, follow those rules. And I think Solteria is somewhat along those lines. Yeah, that, that's, kind of, that's a good comparison. One of the things that I, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because Soteria, in a sense, reaches back to the time when they were trying to decide if you could treat people who have schizophrenia with some sort of uh, psychosocial wraparound services, we weren't calling it at that point, mm -hmm. and, and have those people be well enough that they wouldn't be, uh, that it wouldn't be necessary to take antipsychotic medications, right? And, and I think what they did is they, they had very small houses with very intense psychosocial integration. I think they use, I, I suspect at this point, they're using probably cognitive behavioral therapy for uh, psychosis or some sort of other, uh, other modality, maybe CTRS, uh, where you know, life goals, CBSST, scheduling, finding the things that are interesting for you, getting involved in social interactions. That general kind of approach, I think, is probably Solteria, Solteria model. I think so. And, you know, I, as I think back on some of the things I read, I think the idea for this also stemmed from that deinstitutionalization where we were looking for alternatives to hospitalization. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is that the couple of articles we pulled, one was like from 2008, the other one's now more recent. 2021, July of this year. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the 2008 basically said, you know, we got to look at this some more to see if it. And now the 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 more recent ones saying, yeah, it appears that this could be working. Yeah, I I liked the principles. Uh, so soteria means, if I can read my handwriting, deliverance, in Greek, and the idea is that you have rather than avoidance of medications, it's not an either or anymore. And yeah. I, and I think that's what I like a lot is this is trying to marry the best of both words worlds. It's Let's focus on less coercion. People need to figure out the meds that work for them and how they can be well and in the community with the choices they have. Open versus closed doors, right? That's something that I have a really tough time with because there are challenges I have in safety with absolutely open doors and I hate having the inability to have my patients not be able to go off the unit, not be able to go out to the community. And so there has to be, the, the more open door, the better, I think, and yet there are times and places, right? Yes. Third, third idea was the discharge type. I don't know what that means. I couldn't find it anywhere. Do you know what it means? I was struggling to find it. It was actually easier to look at admission type than discharge type. Uh, but I w because some of the criteria is how how involved is the family in the treatment and stuff? Whether I'm, it's home or to whether some sort it's of home or somewhere else, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I think the outcomes, and, and again, this article in 2021, I don't have who the author was, unfortunately. Um, I think it was probably the article I liked most of the bunch. It talked about the goals. It talked about how uh, the data might support how that's happening. And I think the outcome is less violence and less coercion. They're, they're not, 
I, I think in the past there were some um, challenges because county mental health systems hadn't been well designed to receive people coming out for care, right, with schizophrenia. Yes. And, and so everybody was relapsing, and all of the measures were saying, hey, everybody relapses, so medications are no better than milieu therapy. But I think the Soteria, the way I read the article now, and I, I may read it incorrectly, if, if you're part of Soteria movement and know that I'm totally wrong, leave a comment on the podcast, right? Uh, but I think what they're saying is, we need to focus on having a safe milieu primarily. Yes. And we can do that through these principles. Mm -hmm. And a safe milieu is a healthy and therapeutic milieu. Yes, and, and that's kind of also been my anecdotal experience over time is the more safe someone feels in a situation, even staff, the more therapeutic. And, you know, we are human beings. We develop rapport with each other. If if the patients feel more safe, they're more likely to engage safer with others. And if staff feel safe, they're more likely to stick around and help these people. These individuals that have are suffering from mental illness, but you know, even staff members at times have their own issues with their mental health and in an unsafe environment that can lead to exacerbation. I'm gonna just close very quickly with the other content, and that is what do patients want. There was an article by Middle, uh, Middlebow. Um, there was another person in that that I'm glad wasn't the primary author, S-C-H-J-O-D-T. Uh, Schott, I suspect. So this is out of uh, Norway, I think. Um, and what they talked about was a comparison between what patients saw as an ideal unit and a real unit. And interestingly enough, when you can overlap safety real and ideal are very similar. They're not as similar in terms of coercion, right? There's more coercion on the real unit than there is on the ideal unit. But the way that we try to keep units safe, we're probably in about the right place based on the way I read that. And how we move forward to make the unit more like an ideal unit probably will reduce that coercion. And I think we've had other podcasts where we've talked about how coercion seems to be unhealthy in, in the healing process. Yeah. Uh, I want to stop on that note, um, in part because I think, you know, we all have probably, I mean, there are a lot of challenges with this podcast, right? And I think I'd like to hear everybody's parting thoughts before we stop here. Jenny, how about if we start with you? I think, in theory, it sounds like some a reasonable thing, like we always try to optimize the environment and the situation that we are in or the patient is in so that they can um, recover or heal. But um, with all of the like staff shortages and instability in that sense, I think it would be incredibly hard to maintain such a controlled or stable environment. It's much more difficult, that's true. Romina. Final thoughts. Um, I read a lot about this, like the Soteria elements, and I really like the ideas that they have of helping the patients um, integrate into community life slowly um, by things like simple as cooking. And, you know, I've, I've heard of some activities like going to Walmart and like checking things out. That, those are very overwhelming tasks, even for like when I was a college kid. I was very overwhelmed by grocery shopping personally. So I can only imagine people who have not had the opportunity to be trained in these things 
to have an even more difficult time reintegrating into the community and that's the ultimate goal is to get them back into the community so having these elements to help them make that transition easier is very key and I feel like that's something that should be focused on in a lot of different institutions whether it be you know soteria or just a ward they should have these elements there to help them accomplish that end goal of getting these patients able to be involved with the community. So one of the things you might not know yet is that we do have those things here. Yeah, I've, I, yeah. So occupational therapy, things, occupational yeah. therapy does a great job with cooking. We have uh, there's a lot of assessments focused on reintegration, and probably the the key aspect of the Soteria House is that maybe going back a little bit to one of the things Gunderson said is that there is a difference between chronic. Um, schizophrenia and acute schizophrenia episodes and I think the Soteria House sounds like this is a great model for reintegration of people who have had both acute and chronic uh, challenges with schizophrenia and um, I can kind of see how we are taking so many of those elements into what we do here yeah. and I kind of like I kind of like hearing that we're doing some of the good stuff that you know people talk about I, yeah. I like that a lot Matt your final thoughts well as, as I thought about this I thought about my role uh, over time and and how whatever we right now I, I still don't know exactly everything that really qualifies as milieu therapy <laughs> I mean I mean but one of the things I feel like over time that seems important is that every individual involved in in helping someone stabilize recover or at least become more functional has an important role in, in that milieu. And there are lots of things that we've kind of mentioned that have kind of spun off and become their own therapies over time. And I imagine that we'll continue to see that. Um, but I think that the key things that I would point out for, for milieu therapy, whatever your role, and experience it as much as you can as a medical student because you're gonna be helping create it even more as as a physician is, you know, be aware of your environment and and how that affects the experience of that of that individual you're treating. Uh, and then become a partner in that adaptive coping. Make sure that you, you develop uh, positive interactions and relationships. And those are skills that can be learned and then give the 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 individual as much autonomy as you can um, and recognize and as a medical student those are things we're learning to do so that that collaborative approach where the patient starts to drive their own health care I think was the original goal of milieu therapy whatever but I still believe that there's probably more research or maybe we just need to come up with a better definition of what actually is incorporated and the Solterra seems to be the group that's kind of done that the most currently. Yeah, I think I think so. I think uh, I, I, in my mind I've got this idea that maybe another podcast in the future about Soterra, Soteria versus Clubhouse model and where that might go. You know, my, my two, two, two cents is a little bit different. I mean, I think um, the initial literature seems so much along the lines of either or, and it was kind of disheartening because I, I think it's very clear that when you look at uh, meta-analysis now, that the either or doesn't make a lot of sense. It's all. 
uh, right? Our, our medications have a significant effect on um, how well our patients can function. There is some very clear data, and, and this is never mentioned in the either-or articles, but there's very clear data that medications like clozapine extend lifespans, right? Instead, they're sort of cherry-picking about a few side effects, and maybe that's more important than lifespan. It's not clear to me, but you know, lifespan's not mentioned. And when we leave something as important out as you're stopping suicide and extending lifespans with some of your key medications, it's not an accurate discussion about the information, right? No. Equally, if you're not talking about how to reduce coercion, how to improve the quality of the experience that patients have trying to overcome what I would say is one of the most challenging conditions, metal, medical conditions that anybody could face, you're leaving out data just as big as life and suicide, right? Yes. So, so I really liked this, art, this uh, approach in the sense of, okay, you know what, this either-or mindset is one I might have at times, and not necessarily about medications and therapy, but generally speaking, do I have this one-track mind that tells me there is a solution rather than how do I take all of the solutions that are out there and build them into what I'm doing so that I have the most effective team possible and the most effective treatment um, unit, milieu, for my patients possible. I think the other takeaway that I have is that most of the things that, milieu therapy was amorphous. It was never one thing, right? It was a lot of people talking about a lot of different things. And uh, at this point, I think those things that had merit are now standalone principles. And I think uh, we've talked about many of those in the past, and it's kind of good to know where milieu therapy went. Milieu therapy is no longer a thing as far as I can tell. The principles of milieu therapy, many of those, are now a thing. They seem to be a standard thing. They seem to be a standard thing. I like that. Guys, on that note, uh, for the new students, there's kind of a kind of a checkoff that we have. So what I'll do is say something along the lines of, on that note, team out, and you guys say team out in response. You guys ready? Okay. All right, guys, on that note, team out. Team out.